I can make a joke about a stereotype that people realize is ridiculous and they get over that hurdle, it ultimately unites people. Stereotypes separate us and segregate us and make us other. And breaking stereotypes unite us. I don't know if you're going to see this voice my mom, but I thought I was happy. Are, are you happy? I'm not happy at all. The question is, are you happy? Yes. Are you happy? I'm the happiest I've ever been happy? right now. Yes. Be the person who you'd want to meet because somebody needs you. Welcome to Are You Happy? The Happy Hour. And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Happy? Podcast. Once again, we are venturing into the business world and we are getting to know an extremely talented and awesome individual. Not only is he a stand-up comedian, he's a father, a black belt in karate. This guy can do basically everything. But in addition to directing and writing for X Production Company, he's also the founder. So let's meet this amazing man, Mr. Menachem Silverstein. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So what's the weather like where you are? You're in Los Angeles. Is that correct? I'm in Los Angeles. So what's funny is it's cold for Los Angeles, which is gorgeous for anyone else's standards. Like we have the most beautiful winter, but I'm just watching people walk by in like coats and sweaters. I'm even wearing a little bit of a sweater. It's a little nippy, but coming from New York, this is gorgeous. And I have to ask, what is cold for Los Angeles? I think anytime it dips like below 60, people start, you know, buttoning up. This is very true. Do you work with other companies that are international or outside of California as well? Yeah. So I work with companies mostly in America, but some of them are outside of America. But it's always nice to kind of like get a local California brand and really utilize all the beautiful, like, you know, again, weather and landscapes that we have to really kind of build a brand identity. Yeah. You guys have so much to use. It's amazing. Now, I'd like to go back in time all the way to when you were a young, young boy. I assume you were a young boy at one point. Or were you just this amazing man the whole time? I was just hatched. I just came like this. Right. Straight out. (laughs) the box. And so when you were a kid doing what you do now, founder of this company, directing, writing, producing, wearing all these hats, because that's required, right? For your own company. Is this the role that you saw yourself in as a boy? So as a boy, I always wanted to be a writer and my mother always wanted me to be a lawyer. And I would argue with her that I didn't want to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a writer. And she'd be like, see, you're so good at arguing. You should be a lawyer. But what happened was, again, I kind of like went into it trying to be a writer. I ended up going, getting my BA, considering law school, studying for my LSAT, and I wrote a script instead and got off managers. And what happened was, as I was focusing on the writing, I started getting hired on commercials and seeing how production was being done. The jobs were kind of scarce. And I thought to myself, I was like, hey, if I want to write, the best way to do that is produce my own things. Instead of waiting for opportunities to come to me, let me make my own opportunities. And that's kind of where the other jobs came in, where it was like, oh, I'm the writer. If I want to get a job writing, I need to produce. So I would produce things and hire myself as the writer. And then I would hire a director. And sometimes the director would be expensive. So sometimes the director wouldn't see the vision that I had when writing the script. So what ultimately happened was, again, with a small up and coming production company, I somehow, in order to write, became the writer, producer, director, and occasionally jumped into like actor, voice actor, whatever, just to get the projects going. Because like we mentioned before, when it comes to like production, sometimes you need to wear all the hats. Sometimes you need to like do multiple things to get it off the ground, just have people believe in you and bet on you. And so when you were writing in your younger years, how did you know that that was what you were really good at? And what inspired you when you were writing? So for me, I was born, I'm an Orthodox Jew, so I came from a close 
knit Orthodox Jewish community where there aren't that many like, you know, TV movie typewriters. I love TV. I love movies. You know, I always, every time I watched a movie, I saw there was a name written by, and I'm like, that's a real job that people could do. And then one year I was working in, in a, a day camp and they needed somebody to write like the newsletter at the end of every week. And I told them, I'd like, I said, I would write the newsletter as long as it's unedited. I can write whatever I'd like. And they were so desperate for a writer. They're like, sure. And I went and I would just write these kind of like ridiculous fake accounts, their interviews and kind of their backstories and all these just kind of sillinesses. And one week I couldn't do it. And one of the parents came over and was like, what happened to this week's newsletter? I, I love reading them to my kids. They're so funny. And I realized I'm like, oh, wow, like they find me entertaining. And you know, like maybe I could, this is a job. People get paid to be a writer. Maybe I can do it. And after that kind of experience, when I got a little bit older, I decided I'm like, hey, let me try to do this. And so that feeling that you get from hearing feedback from someone else that they found what you wrote to be funny, how did that affect you? It was just like a really nice amount of validation because I feel like everybody has levels of imposter syndrome and levels of like, okay, I think I'm funny, but do other people actually, you know, think I'm funny or laugh at the same things? And especially me kind of, again, coming from a background where most Orthodox Jews are rabbis or lawyers or, you know, maybe a doctor, whatever it is, not really work in the entertainment. For me, that gave me extra imposter syndrome. Like, you know, I didn't take a screenwriting class and I didn't have drama in school or any of those things. So when somebody found my stuff funny, I was like, oh, wow, I can do this. I know that I need to work harder to catch up to everyone else, but this is something that I can do. So then your, I guess your background with production and and with writing and getting more into professional writing, would you say that that was very non-traditional? Yes. My background was definitely non-traditional. Again, like I said, I didn't go to class. I didn't go to school for it. What happened was I wanted to write scripts. So I was like, the best way to learn how to write is to read. So I just Googled scripts and I got my hands on every script, every TV script that I liked, every movie script that I liked, every movie script that was recommended to me. And I just read as many as I could. And then I started writing and I would send it to somebody I knew. And again, I didn't know the rules. So like I had a comedy pilot that was 60 pages long and I got to send it to a producer and the producer's like, why is your half hour comedy 60 pages? And I was like, oh, that's the unedited version. Here's the edited version. And I then stayed up all night and made it, you know, 25 pages and resent it. And then they liked it and gave me, you know, feedback. So there was a lot of like, you know, learning and a lot of mistakes on the way, but that's kind of how I learned. And the same thing was with kind of, you know, the producing and the directing of it. I got to write some commercials and I got to be on set and see how it was done. And I saw what they did and I copied elements of it and then I changed elements of it. I was like, Hey, you know, this is how I see the story being told. This is how I see the story being conveyed. And a lot of what I did was, it was funny, my mother always kind of questioned me. She's like, if you don't have the schooling to be a writer, director, and all these things, how are you going to achieve it? Back in the day when she was younger, like you have to go to school for these things. And what I was explaining to her was like, nowadays with the internet, we have access to so many movies, so many TV shows, so many comedy specials, all these things that like, that was my, I was able to watch TV shows in order instead of back in the day when a TV show was on, you'd wait for the next episode to air. And sometimes you'd miss it. You'd go from episode one to episode four to episode seven here, like, you know, thanks to Netflix and all these things. I can watch one through a single sitting and I can see the way the story is structured and see the way the characters have developed, et cetera. So I feel like, you know, nowadays, if you work hard enough at it, there are a lot of non-traditional ways to achieve proper professional, you know, writing success and directing success. So I love that you, you talked about doing it and putting your hands on it and just absorbing all of that information, all of those scripts and watching all of that television. I think that that's so important for people that are going a non-traditional route to just get your hands on it and to do it. And so did you take a lot of like non-paying jobs? Did you do like PA work to get on sets and kind of learn more when you were going through, you know, your learning phase? So for me, there's always this kind of attitude, which is 
You need to work hard. You need to work harder than everyone else. You need to show bring your value and your uniqueness to the table. But at the same time, when I always tell my friends, I'm like, there's a ladder that everyone's trying to climb. A lot of people don't know that somewhere next to it is a staircase. And if you look really, really hard, there's going to be an elevator. So my goal a lot of times is like, yes, there's the traditional routes of how to get places, but how can you get there faster, but equally as efficiently? Because you never want to shortcut the work. But if you can, there are ways to shortcut the, you know, like production. Like again, for me, in order to become a professional writer, I could have, you know, been a PA on set and waited around. Instead, I was able to connect with marketing departments of companies and I was able to pitch them my work at a discounted rate. And I was able to then get brand names under my belt and under my production company. So that's kind of a lot of what I did. So a lot of the sets at the beginning, the set that I was part of were sets that I was hired to be a writer on or a director on. And then I really tried to just kind of like build out my own sets quickly. So I could really like, I felt like that was the way to give myself as much just experience as possible. If I can, if I can get the director that I want to shadow on my set and working on my project, I can see how he does it instead of having to chase him and wait for one of his projects. I'm going to hire him. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know why, but we're going to figure it out. And if that means like you're saying again, instead of the, like doing things for free, like if I can get a few thousand dollars for a project and pay a director and pay a videographer and pay an editor and not take a check myself, but build out the set of my dreams where I'm working with the people that I want to work on. That is like, you know what I mean? That's free college. Or again, sometimes the even better way is getting paid to go to college. I'm getting paid to be on sets with people I admire or projects I dreamed of doing. Like what was kind of crazy, just like a very, very brief story. This year I got to write 10, my company got to write 10 NFL commercials with a football player called Antonio Gates. And what was kind of funny was I don't really know that much about football. One of my friends who knew a lot about football, I was like, I just wrote 10 commercials for Antonio Gates. And he's like, that's so cool. You've met Antonio. And I'm like, I definitely have not met Antonio. Hopefully on the set, I'll meet him, but I haven't met him yet. And he's like, yes, you did. Give me five minutes. And he sends me a photo of me, him, and two other friends with Antonio Gates. What happened was we went to see the Jake Gyllenhaal boxing movie called Southpaw. On the way out, we bumped into Antonio Gates and took a photo with him. I didn't remember. I knew it was an NFL player, but I didn't remember who it was. And then flash forward, my hard work led to me getting to potentially work with Antonio Gates. So it's just kind of, you know, like, again, if you, if you work hard enough, put your mind to it, like the universe has a beautiful way of just making things happen and, and hard work paying off. Where did the inspiration come from looking at things as though there is an elevator that the staircase and, you know, the ladder, where did all of that come from? That came from a little bit of craziness, me just being a little bit like, we're going to do this, we're going to make it happen. But I think that it, it came from like this real hunger and thirst and desperation for like, again, I'm not the first person to write a movie. I'm not the first person to write a TV show or write a commercial, etc. But I'm one of the first, if not if not the first Orthodox Jew to do it. So I feel like in my own mini universe, I am the, you know, the trendsetter and the pioneer. And I feel like it's my opportunity to lead the way for other people that are are, you know, like come from a background that doesn't really allow creativity and whether that's another little Jewish boy or whether that's, you know, a different kind of religious person or, my, or you know, like different person from immigrant parents that want them to be a doctor and they want to be a creative instead. I feel like I was given the opportunity to become something that, you know, little me dreamed of, but never thought he really could achieve. And I started slowly seeing the achievability. I, I the Laugh Factory and my friends are getting amazing opportunities and Netflix specials and getting booked 
an SNL and I see that it's really like possible if you work hard and put your mind to it. And again, one of the reasons I launched my company was not only a platform for me to be able to express myself, but a platform for other creatives to express themselves, a platform that give people an opportunity to, you know, produce content, direct content, like let's create together. And so what does your mother think of your work now? What, how does she see you now? So for a long time, she was really sad that I didn't become a lawyer. She just dreamt of having, you know, that lawyer. And she, again, one of the things kind of, you know, any sort of like immigrant parent, whatever ethnicity they come from is just worried about their kid and knows how expensive life can be. And my mother, her whole thing was, you know, if you're a lawyer, you'll make $200,000 plus a year and you'll be fine. And when you get married and have kids, you'll be able to support them and everything will be good and golden. And, you know, to me, as much as the sounded good. I wanted purpose and I found my purpose. And at first that was very scary for her, not because she didn't want me to be happy. Of course she wanted me to be happy, but she just didn't want to see me struggle and she knew how hard it'd be. And I think that, you know, if one of the biggest blessings of, you know, X production co for my mom is that, you know, I have this stable, profitable company now. So of course, like, you know, I make money off my standup and my script writing and my, you know, all the other, like I get pulled into acting once in a while. So like all the acting, all these things, thank God, make money, but the, you know, company, the stability that I can really support my wife and two kids on. And that's been a real blessing for my family to see me kind of come into that. Well, it sounds like your work ethic and your drive has definitely aided you in succeeding in your current work. So I'm sure she's very proud of that. When it comes to your own kids, you have two kids now, correct? A boy and a girl. Oh, lovely. You've done the quota, boy, girl. Exactly. Fulfill the mitzvah. (laughs) You're set. For your kids, what kind of aspirations or what kind of advisements do you give them as they're growing up and and kind of developing in, in this world? What do you tell them? Well, one thing that's kind of funny is my son last year said that he wants to be a writer like me. And my initial reaction was like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. And I realized that I was turning into my mother because, again, like I had a lot of years of struggle. And even though like now, thank God, I'm in a good place and hopefully only growing from here, it definitely was a struggle. And I see my myself you know, in my mother's role, being worried that that my son will struggle and I just want to avoid that. But then this year, he decided he wants to work as a scientist, partially because he wants to be able to create his own slime. So we'll see how long that career path lasts. But to me, I think that, you know, like, again, as a parent, it's a very difficult position to be in because on one hand, you want your kid to be happy and you really want them to love what they do, but you also, you know, don't want to see them struggle in any way because I grew up without a lot of money and, you know, like I'm still, especially like living in LA, no matter how much money you have, it's not a lot of money because everything's so expensive. You know, like, look, I hope to be able to be in a position financially where my kids could do whatever they want and I can really, you know, help them out if they ever needed it. But again, it's that real fine line of like, you want your kid to smile every day and that smile to be genuine and sincere, but you also don't want them to struggle. So it's about letting them, you know, like become who they are and they're supposed to be with, you know, as much guidance as you. My daughter, well, she, she's still little. She just turned four. So she's still in the princess phase. And I don't want to have to break the news to her yet, but unfortunately, due to our bloodline, she's not a princess. And unless she 
marries a prince, which could happen. I don't know if that aspiration is going to be real. But again, it's the same thing with her. Like, it's really cute. She loves to sing and she loves to dance. She loves to draw. She's such a, you know, beautiful soul and beautiful girl and, and so creative. And, you know, again, to me, I never want to be the one to crush anyone's dreams, especially it's like, how can I crush someone's dreams if I'm out here trying to pursue mine? But at the same time, same thing. Just don't want to see, well, I don't want to see anyone struggle, but especially not my kids. So when it comes to like working creatives, I'll definitely like, if they choose to work in any creative field, just give them the, you know, breakdown of, Hey, you're going to have more fun than you've ever had. You're going to love what you do, but it might be hard. Is that worth it for you? Or would you like to, you know, like go become a lawyer and then you'll have a good salary and the work might not be as fun. You might not be as happy during the day, but you'll have money and you can go on vacations. What's more important to you? What will make you happier at the end of the day? Because I have friends who are lawyers, but they're really happy. They might not love what they do, but like they have the financial stability to be able to, you know, like go out to restaurants, go out to drinks and go on vacations. And that's what makes them happy. So it's worth it for them. So I guess it really depends on the person. And so you spoke of dreams. You're also a stand-up comedian. How did that come about? Was that just like something that, that you entered while on your writer path and then you still do it because it's working for you? How did that start? So it's kind of a mix of multiple things. When I was younger and I was writing, I always dreamt of being a stand-up comic, but kind of, again, as an Orthodox Jew who wears a kippah, I was like, I don't know if anybody wants to see that on stage. So I kind of took that dream and I pushed it down. And then what happened was I was working as a writer and I pitched a show to Amazon about comedians. And the person I was pitching was like, oh, because the other mic, the person I, was, I wrote the script with, she was going to be in the show. And when I was pitching it, the producer in Amazon was like, oh, and are you going to be a comedian? Orthodox Jewish comedian. It's hilarious. And I was like, of course. And then we shot some test footage for it and it looked really good. And I was like, okay, if I potentially am going to play a comedian, I need my comedy chops to be, you know, amazing. So I started doing a lot of stand-up comedy. The project ended up falling apart with the producer switch companies, which happens a lot, unfortunately. But that kind of gave me the skill set and the, you know, drive to pursue comedy. And then comedy has been amazing. Like for me, it definitely helps with the writing as well, because I think if somebody sees you up on stage, Stage performing your jokes and they laugh. They're like, oh, wow, this guy, you know, believes in his material enough to get up and make the jokes. And I just laughed at it. I'll read the script. So I double down on the comedy. I invite a lot of, you know, producers, showrunners and other creatives to shows, you know, as a, hey, instead of like, come meet me for lunch. It's like, you know, whenever you'd like to come to the Laugh Factory, I'll add you to my guest list. And they get to, you know, kind of have that intro to who I am and my sense of humor. And with that said, whenever you're in LA, you want to come to the Laugh Factory, I'm happy to add to my guest list. <laughs> I totally will. I totally will. I want to see you in action. And I think that's amazing. That's a great way to introduce them to you and to really get that experience as to who you are. So that's wonderful. Now, I'm curious about your inspiration when you're thinking about your, your comedy writing and writing in general. Does a lot of that come from personal life experience? Definitely. So when it comes to, you know, my sense of humor, it's just how I perceive the world, how I perceive my family, how I perceive religion. And what I try to do with my writing comedy is obviously there's just, you know, being funny and entertaining and making people laugh and making people, you know, have a good time. But I think that it's also an important platform to use to tell a story. Like, for example, there's a lot of negative stereotypes when it comes to Jews. And there's a lot of interesting things about Judaism that people don't know. So as a Jew, 
in comedy, it's that perfect time to, you know, have that conversation and educate. And I think that, you know, like, again, if you try to like push an agenda on somebody right away, they just like, you know, take a step back and like, whoa, that's, you know, a lot. But if you make someone laugh, I think it's good. And to me, you know, like stereotypes separate us and segregate us and make us other and breaking stereotypes unite us. And if I can make a joke about a stereotype that people realize is ridiculous, and they get over that hurdle. It ultimately unites people. So my goal, you know, through comedy is not just to, you know, make people laugh, but, you know, to help educate and unite. Because I think that, you know, we're, we're better together. The world is beautiful. People get along. The world is beautiful when all of these separate human pieces perfectly fit together to make a beautiful puzzle. You don't want a puzzle made of all the same exact shape and color pieces. You want the pieces to be different colors and different shapes. And that's how we sit together perfectly. Definitely. And I think that, you know, again, getting rid of stereotypes ultimately helps us, you know, see that big, beautiful picture. Definitely agree. Now, some of the questions that we talk about on this particular show have to do with happiness. And you've mentioned happiness a few times. So we will ask you some of our questions here. The first question is, are you happy? I think it's this. I'd be lying if I say that I'm happy every minute of every day. I think that as a human being, life itself is that ocean. It's full of waves. And I think the most important thing is to have your goal set on happy. Know what happiness is. And that's where that's your North Star. And I'm really, really lucky that I am happy 99% of the time. I get to do what I love. I have a beautiful wife and two beautiful kids. I'm really, really lucky and blessed. And I know that. And again, sometimes you kind of slow place as long as you have your eyes on that North Star, what happiness is and how that feels, you always get back there. And for yourself, your path of happiness, is that something that you maybe created long ago where you decided XYZ would make me happy? Or is it something that has changed over time, your path to happiness? I'm lucky that I've always been very positive and a very happy person. Working in this industry kind of shakes things up a little bit. It's, you know, a very hard industry, especially again in comedy and writing and production. There's so many like almost and close, you know, opportunities, et cetera, and things that fall apart all the time. So one of the ways that I kind of set the goal for happiness early on was to celebrate the little things. You know, I get a meeting. I celebrate. I got this huge meeting I wanted to. Did nothing come out of the meeting? Doesn't matter. I'm happy. Oh, I got a second meeting from it. That's another win. I'm thrilled that I got it. I sell the thing. I'm even happier. But I think that it's really about setting up those little goals and, you know, like being proud of yourself for those small achievements, because I like to think about it like this. Like, let's say I got to pitch Lionsgate. I didn't end up selling a project, but I got I got there. If I would tell 12-year-old me, you're going to get to pitch at Lionsgate, 12-year-old me wouldn't care if you sell something. That was the huge achievement. So my goal a lot of time is, you know, what would make 12-year-old me happy? And I have to make sure that I'm happy about that. And I can't forget and get spoiled. I get to perform at the Laugh Factory every Thursday night. Like you achieved less than a huge accomplishment. But I celebrate all the time. And I might forget about it sometimes because I, I get to be at the Laugh Factory every Thursday. So I could easily be like, eh, this is, you know, status quo. But it's not. It's a blessing every time I'm like. I think that's wonderful. And that definitely is something to celebrate Lionsgate and even Amazon and all of these other wonderful people that you've worked with. I really like that you celebrate all of those small things. So that is great. If you were to come across someone that was struggling with their happiness path, what would you offer them as advice? It's a very good question. And I think that it's something that everybody needs to think about because we all come across 
people that aren't happy. And, you know, it's heartbreaking to see someone like that. And that actually happened to me recently where a friend of mine, a super, super talented photographer, wasn't as happy as he should be. And to me, it was about kind of helping him look at the goals and look at the big picture and be like, you know, hey, why are you sad? And, and this person specifically was kind of upset because they didn't like they've accomplished enough in life. And that was kind of back to the, which 12-year-old you think that you accomplished a lot in life? Would 10-year-old you be proud of you? Because if 12-year-old you is proud of you, you should be pretty proud of yourself. And again, I don't think that that works for everyone. I'm just from an experience that happened to me right now. But yeah, I think that it's, you know, about, I think happiness is about understanding how far you've come and setting small goals that you could achieve. Because a lot of people set unrealistic goals that they can never achieve and then they're just sad all the time. And I think, again, like celebrate getting the meeting. That's a huge deal. You don't have to sell a TV show. Celebrate getting the meeting. Celebrate not even getting the meeting. Celebrate finishing your script. That's a big, you know, whatever your thing is, make sure. Set little goals and accomplish them and, you know, you will feel amazing. Well, that kind of answers the last question as well. My last question is, what is your message to the world? And that kind of answers it for them as well. I love it. I love celebrating everything. And and I really do like your approach on, you know, is 12-year-old you proud? 12-year-old me is like totally proud. So that's that's wonderful. I'm going to have to share that with everyone that we come across now. Is there anything in your life path that has surprised you thus far that you would have never expected having learned from your life experience? That's a good question. I think something that I didn't expect as much is how important your friends and the people you surround yourself are. But like the people you choose to surround yourself with, the importance of that is amazing. It's like when it comes to family, you're born into your family. When it comes to your friends, like based the people you choose and ultimately based the people who are going to like have your back and celebrate you and really help lift you up. Like I'm so lucky that I'm surrounded with friends who kind of, you know, again, like me, they celebrate the little things. And like when I do something small and, you know, I'll do something small and I'll have a really bad day and my friend will be like, you just did this thing. And I'm like, God, but that doesn't count. And he said, what are you talking about? It doesn't count. How many of your friends did that? How many people do you know that have done that? You did great. And I think that, you know, having a real strong support system is just one of the most important things. And again, like, it's easy to be like, I'm a big, strong person. I don't need anyone. I can be, you know, survive in the world all on my own. And of course you can, but you don't have to. You can surround yourself with friends. You can have a beautiful little, you know, like team and self-made family that can really, you know, help you through things. Like just knowing that you don't have to do it alone and finding your tribe, I think is, you know, the best piece of advice that I can give. And also just something that I didn't realize how important was. And now I am so, so thankful and great for all the mentors and friends I'm surrounded with. Like again, one of my best friends, Tehran, he's a a comedian and a writer and we write together in comedy and he, you know, gave me my opportunities at the office. And without him, like if I would have or how quickly I would have made this. There are so many people, my friend Jeff Wilbur, I could just go on and on and on. You know, my wife, my family, like so many people just really helped support and get me here. Well, they do say that it's important to surround yourself with like-minded people or positive people or people that will lift you up. So it sounds like you definitely have that in spades. So that's wonderful. I do want to talk about your company as well, X Production Co. One of my favorite questions to ask someone who is a founder of a company is if you have a staff, because I don't think we went over if you have a staff under you, but if you do have a staff, do you find that you treat them in a very positive way based on previous experience when you were under someone else in a professional? 
professional setting. And what I mean by that is like if you were like a lower level employee at one time, that has an impact on how you treat people that work for you or even contracted for your company as well. Yeah. So I, my first full-time job was at a market research company. And then now I'm able to like run my company. And there were a lot of things that I learned from that first job, good, bad, but one of them definitely was to you know, treat, you know, my employees and contractors well. So I have, I don't have full-time employees, but I have almost full-time employees who are incredible and I couldn't be more thankful. I have a guy named Ron Gaffin who I've been working with for years and a photographer, Zosha Bolton, who is most talented photographer and he does all my photography stuff. And to me, it's just like, I want them to always know how thankful I am. There's a couple of things that I do. Like I want to make sure that they're always paid on time. I want to make sure that they're always paid what they want to be paid. You know, like if this is the amount of money that they need to feel good to the best of my ability, that's what I get them. And, you know, again, if it's a little bit high, I'm always there to, you know, like, Hey, I don't know if we can get that fully. My goal is to always make them happy and to always really show my appreciation for them. And, you know, whether it's a small token of like, here's a coffee in the morning or it's a text or or it's a call or it's, you know, a letter or whatever it is. I like to always just, you know, let them know how important they are. Because I feel like one of the worst things that can happen in a company is for you to feel replaceable and for it to feel like, okay, you're good for now, but we can get someone taller, better, smarter, whatever it may be. So I really like to, you know, establish to them, like you made this video, you made this photo, you made this project happen. I couldn't have done it without you and I need you. And I'm so grateful that you're with me. And like, sure, God forbid, if like something happens, if they're busy, and I need to hire someone else, I can accomplish something with someone else, but it's something different with someone else. Mm -hmm. I need you to create this and you created this and we created this together. And I'm so appreciative of that. And I think that, you know, again, establishing value that you have for them and that they bring to you is important. And so by establishing that value, does it show in all of the work that's produced after that? Yeah. What happens is, again, they just become happier to work with you and they work harder. And then they also have a stake in the video. Because like, let's say, again, like for me as a production company, when I make a commercial, it's like, I'm not saying this is a Menachem Silverstein commercial by Menachem for Menachem, you know, a Menachem production. It's like, no, we did this together. Your name is on it. You did this. So it just kind of like, again, it gives them a stake in the project mm -hmm. and it gives them pride in the project. And so your company, what services do you offer? You mentioned commercial, you mentioned production. What, what types of services do you offer? So at the company, what we do is we produce on the like lower scale. We do brand, product videos, brand videos for more like e-commerce videos and brands. We also do founders videos for companies trying to, you know, tell their story. We do commercials, all scale commercials for, again, you know, private brands, private labels, big companies, you know, foundations, et cetera. And then we also are in web series and short films. There are a couple, you know, streaming services that we are producing television shows and movies for. And then our goal is to, you know, scale that up. And we also have a content creation brand where we like will create reels and photos for, you know, social media and web etc. So our goal is to, you know, kind of keep the media and commercial brand, mm -hmm. but we really want within the next couple of years to scale up the TV and film department. So right now we've been doing a lot of short films, a lot of web series like content, but we really plan on, you know, scaling up to full on features and hopefully full on TV shows as well. And when you collaborate with a client and you create this, you know, very personal storytelling, what's your process when you're working with your clients to achieve that kind of personal view as far as their brand and what it is that you produce for them? So that's where the screenwriting comes in. So what I like to do is first thing when I have a new client, I just sit down with them and whether it's 20 minutes or three hours, we sit and we fully understand the brand, the messaging we're trying to achieve and trying to convey 
And what I always make my clients do is I'm like, what are the top three things that you want everyone to walk away with? Not five, not 10, three. What are the three? We can do more than three, but we need to know the three core things that need to be walked away with. After that, I'll then digest the information. Sometimes on the spot, I'll have an idea of how to package it, but sometimes I'll kind of go and digest, catch them some ideas. We'll like an idea. I'll write the script. They approve the script. Once the script's approved, we then go into production. So with the client, there really is that time and space to understand what they want and make sure we're able to achieve it and deliver it, package and show them exactly what it's going to look like in script form. And once they approve that script, we then go and film the script and bring the script to life. So they really, as much as they're allowing our team creative control to go and make you know the videos for them, we really want them to be hands-on and make sure that they're in in the vision so they can, you know, again, it's also about the sharing the pride. I want when they see the video to be like, this is my brand. This is what I helped create. This is something that I want to show people. I don't want them to just be like, make me whatever. And then they see it and they're like, I don't know if this was it. Like I want my videographer proud, my photographer proud, my producer proud, the director proud. I want my clients to be equally as proud of the project. And so if you hit a roadblock, how do you pass that? If say maybe you have a vision, they have a vision, but it's not quite coming together. How do you work past that with them? So occasionally there has to be certain elements of handholding where, you know, if I have a vision and they have a different vision, there's kind of handholding slash compromise. I'll go over to them and I'll say, you know, hey, you guys are awesome and I love you and you make an amazing dog food. Let's say we're using a dog food commercial. I'm like, your dog food is amazing. Your branding's amazing. Your can looks great. Your bag looks great. It's all great. I make videos for a living. You make dog food for a living. Your dog food is top notch and you want everyone to trust and buy your thing my production is top notch and I need you to trust me. And your idea is not going to convey what we need to. And my idea will. And I know it might seem a little edgier. I know it might seem a little out there. At the end of the day, I will create whatever video that you want. But as a producer, as a director, if you want my you know, opinion, here is what we need to do. Um, and then again, there's you know, elements of compromise. Sometimes they're like, let's do a watered down version of yours so it's not as crazy and different. And sometimes I'll end up you know, taking their idea and, pop- and popping it off. But usually, again, when we take the time to understand the brand and understand the sensitivities of the company, usually when it comes to pitching one of the ideas, we're able to come to a you know middle ground with and make sure that it's something they like. And so for your company, what is, I guess, a superpower that you bring that no one else can? I think that one of the things that we pride ourselves on is patience and care where I'm not into rushing projects. I always want to make sure that we give the project the care that it needs, whether that's a long time script writing end, whether that's a long time on the back end for editing. We're a very quick production company and like we'll go as fast as you need. And if you want to turn this project around, we will turn it around. But if you need time to think and you need time to understand, we're there for you. We've created a system that is in place. But when it comes to a lot of like production companies, it's not really respected and slowed down. For us, again, there's really those four steps or five steps are very important. The understanding the brand, creating the script, the proper pre-production, the production and the post. We make sure that each one is to your liking. So we don't move on to the next step until you're fully on board, we're fully on board, we're ready to do it. Because again, I think the best things in life sometimes take time. A tree doesn't grow overnight. A flower can die overnight if you don't water it. Some of these things need nurturing, some of these things need care. And again, some of them can grow fast and some of them can move quickly. But you know, like I always establish with my clients that like, hey, I'll move as fast as you want us to, but my goal is to get you the best product and you know, we'll do this together and we'll get 
And what are some things that you would like for the audience to know about your production company that they wouldn't find out otherwise, whether it's online or via LinkedIn or via your website? What are what are some things that you want them to know? I want them to know that when they come to us, they're guaranteed a good product, that we are going to spend the time and care to really, you know, kind of deliver on that. There won't be a lot of clients that, again, even in our contracts, you have up to three re-edits on the script. You have up to three re-edits on the video. And, you know, over that, officially, we can charge. But I never do. Usually, thank God, we never really have to go over the three edits on any quadrant. But at the end of the day, my goal, you know, again, this isn't just a company to make money and a company to pump out as many videos as possible, being that I really have a passion in creating and writing and making these videos. I want it to look as good as you do. I want your brand to shine. I want my video to shine and we'll take as much time as we need and we'll make sure like one thing that I guarantee in my company is that you will have a product that you're proud of. And for people listening out there that are interested in your company, what are your socials, your websites and all of that good contact info for your company? So my website is letter X productionco.com. So xproductionco.com. We also are X production co across all socials. So Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn. I also kind of like have my own page, which is Menachem Silverstein. A hard name to spell. If you figure out how to spell it, I feel like I have a ring to follow. But a lot of times I'll filter clients through that because I have a little bit of a bigger following in my company. People trust me as a brand. So when they come to, you know, like Menachem Silverstein, they'll DM me. And we'll definitely put all of your contact info and your socials, as well as your personal inside the description of the episode. Is there something that you have not yet shared that you would like to share? The only thing that I want to share is how amazing this podcast is and how nice it's been to talk to you. I know that you're busy, you know, promoting us, but I just want to say Vanessa, the vivacious across all socials, right? <laughs> yes. She's amazing, an amazing <laughs> interviewer. So fun to talk to and hang out with. And I just wanted to thank you guys for reaching out and connecting and taking the time and being so gracious with your time. Well, thank you. And that was not purchased or planned, everyone. That was total honesty. I did not pay him to plug that. But yes, it's been absolutely amazing getting to know you and hearing all of your insights, whether it's your professional life or your personal life. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us as well. Of course, it's my pleasure. Are You Happy Hour and Are You Happy Hotline are brought to you by Are You Happy Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media such as Instagram and subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. Are You Happy, the docuseries can also be found on social media such as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. See you guys next time for another wonderful episode of Are You Happy, the Happy Hour.